Well, about 10 years ago, DC Comics did a reboot of Superman's character, if you remember this, if you're a Superman fan. And in that reboot, they made him a little bit angsty, a little bit edgy. They were trying to attract a younger generation, kind of like uh, Batman in the Dark Knight. They were kind of doing that whole thing there. And so at one point, he's having a hard time understanding who he is, his origin story, where he's headed, what his past should be. And so he goes to his mom, like we all should go, when we need advice, right? And he goes to his mom, and his mom says something like this. I don't care what you do. You can even go play the banjo, just as long as you're happy. I remember watching that, and I was like, that is literally the worst advice you could ever give to Superman. Like, those of, he's, he's not like mortal men. I mean, bullets bounce off of him. He can fly. He can do more than play the banjo. Mom, that's some really, really bad advice, because with enormous power comes an enormous amount of responsibility. And so why do I say that? Because the same is true for you and me. James, in the book of James today, is going to tell us that you have enormous power. Every person in this room and watching online, whether you feel it or not today, you have enormous power. And you can leverage that power for good, or you can leverage that power for evil. Don't we, as parents, say that to our kids all the time? Like, oh man, this is either going to be great, and you're going to use this for good, or man, you're going to be in prison. Like one of the two, right? Like we think that as parents, right? And so that's what he's saying right here. And he's, James is going to talk about how we have the power and how to wield it well. But he's going to start with a warning. So if you want to turn with me, go to lexity.info on your favorite web browser there. And um, there's the thing that says message notes at the top. You can click on message notes. You can follow along with us today, whether you're here in person or watching online. And we're going to be talking about James chapter 3 today, the first 12 verses. We're going to break down it verse by verse, all those 12 verses right there together today. And he starts with a warning today. And he's giving us a warning about people like myself and Pastor Brian and Pastor Helen who teach up here. He's giving you listening a warning about people like us. And he says in verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. People who speak on its stage will face a greater judgment. It says in the Bible that those who've accepted Christ in their life We'll get to heaven by the grace of God, but when they get to heaven, there's going to be an evaluation that happens right there. And those who teach are going to have a stricter or harder evaluation about their life because they chose to do this. And per usual, James, he got this word from his brother, Jesus. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus was t- talking to his followers and he says, when I come back, if you're my people, you should be doing my kind of work. And he gives the illustration of basically like a boss coming back from lunch going into the office, he should see his people working, right? And so he's talking about this, and, and, and Peter, the leader of the apostles, is there. And he was like, yeah, y'all should be working. And, he, and Peter's like, Jesus, what about us? And he says, actually, Peter, it's even a harder judgment on you. Those who choose to be managers, those who, te- who choose to be in charge of things, more judgment's coming to you. And in verse 48 of Luke chapter 12, he says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I know many of you watching today thought that was from Spider-Man, but that was from the Bible, okay? I promise you, it's right there. He stole it from Scripture. So what does he mean by that? When you stand on a raised platform and you say, basically, thus says the Lord, there's a greater judgment because that's a lot of influence on your life. Because there'll be more of a judgment of how we've handled his word. He said it's because when you stand up here, you use the most dangerous part of your body. 
And that's where this talk is going. Today we're going to be talking about, behold the power of words. The power of the tongue. And so when we talk about turning setbacks into comebacks, we each have the ability, when someone's walking through a setback season in their life, we have the ability with our words to pull them out of that setback and be a part of their comeback story. Or we also have the ability by our negative words to keep them in that setback season for even longer. And James understands, he says in verse two of James chapter three, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault is what they say is, in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. This is basically like the thesis of this chapter for him. He says, we all stumble in many ways, which is encouraging that nobody in here is perfect. So if you're watching right now or you're here in person and you're, look, you're saying, look at all these shiny, bright people, they have it all figured out, they don't. We're all a mess. I'm a mess. You're a mess. We all walked in here with our own stuff. We all walk in here and we stumble in many ways. Maybe you stumble with lust. Maybe you stumble with anger. Maybe you stumble with fear. Maybe you stumble with any type of insecurity in your life, just like I do. Then James says, we all stumble in many ways. But if you ever meet a guy who can control what he says, you've met a perfect human being who can control every other aspect of their life. Basically, what he's saying is if you can control your mouth, you can control the rest of your life. If you can get a bridle on your words, you'll shape your entire world. Now, where does he get off saying that? Do you believe that? Well, he's going to give us two arguments as to why he says that. The first argument is this. Number one, the tongue is powerful. Your mouth, your words, my mouth, my words are powerful. And he does it with some illustrations. In verse three, he says this. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. If you can bridle your tongue, literally put a bridle on it, you can guide your whole life. Then he says we put the bits in the mouths of horses. Fortunately, I'm in horse country, so you all know what that means. For those of you watching, maybe from another state, you basically put this bit inside of a horse's mouth, it's a piece of metal, and then a strap is attached to it, and you can literally guide this big, strong, powerful, muscular animal anywhere you want it to go because of this little piece of metal in their mouth. So what he's saying is the little leads the big. That's his argument. He explains it again in verse four. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And so if a boat captain or a pilot can get his hands on a little rudder, he can control the whole big ship. The little leads the big. That's his argument. Your little mouth controls your whole life. Your words determine your world. Your communication shapes your direction and the direction of those around you sometimes as well. This is the most important part of your body. This will determine where you go. And that's what he says in verse five. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Our words determine the course of our life. Your world shape your world. Think about your job. How did you get the job you have right now? Some of you may say, you know what? I knew a guy or I knew a girl and that's how I got the job. Or I had great, I have this great education. Or maybe I had great references or great work experience. You know what? I know a lot of people that, don't, that have all of those things and still don't have a job. At some point, you walked into a job interview and you had to use your words to get that job. 
and to keep that job. Think about your, your work right now. By what you say every day as the ability to keep your job or to lose that job. You could say one sentence tomorrow and lose your job, right? Some of you are like, whoo, I've thought about that sentence over and over again. I want to tell my boss that tomorrow, but you would lose your job. You have the power of words. Brian, if you're watching this, I'm not talking about you, all right? So your communication also determines your ability to make money. If I wrote the sentence, man, today was awesome, but it was also kind of lame too, you wouldn't buy that book, right? But if someone wrote it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, you would probably buy that book. Because communication is powerful. The selection of words and the timing of those words, it's far more significant to say something like, I have a dream that one day out in the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. That is far more powerful to say than wouldn't it be cool if we all like got along and stuff? Those are powerful words. The right words in the right moment can shape people's thinking and shape their destinies. Think about that. There have been speeches given that the right selection of words at the right moment changed human history. Behold the power of words. And some of you, even if you don't give speeches like that, you've, you've seen that a well-placed compliment maybe got you your closest friend. You remember that maybe a person that was a stranger in a room with you, they quoted your favorite movie and half of a quote of a movie began a relationship and now they're your best friend. Some of you, a whole friendship has unraveled over a sentence. You heard them say something and years of friendship crumbled under the weight of a critical word. Behold the power of words. The little leads the big. Your words determine your world, but not only are your words powerful, they are also dangerous. And that's James' next statement. In verse five, he says this. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The little controls the big, but now he's starting to shift to little, how little words can create a big problem. Little words can actually create a disaster. The Angora fire in California in 2007, it burned over 3,100 acres. It destroyed 242 residences, 67 commercial structures, and it damaged another 35 homes. It cost, it cost um, $11.7 million to fight the fire with over 2,000 firemen and firewomen doing that job. And then there was $140 million in damage. All from what they think was an illegal campfire, over $150 million in damage because someone struck a match. Charles Spurgeon, who is one of the most famous preachers of all time, when his church was having explosive growth, so they built a new facility and it held, it, it sat 10,000 people and they're meeting in this new building. And during the prayer time in their service, someone stood up and they screamed one word. They screamed the word, fire! And it caused a panic and it caused a stampede. At the end of the day, seven people were dead because of one word. And Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all time, almost lost his mind because those seven people died. Because of one word. Behold the power of words. I mean, think about our political climate right now. 
Can you imagine right now if you were a speechwriter or you worked on a campaign for any elected official right now and think about you prepared that speech and then they get up and they make an offhanded comment, which happens, I don't know, like 90% of the debates right now, right? And you're in there going, no, 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 don't, don't, don't say that. Because you know what? You know it's going to be press releases. You know they're going to have to unwind every word that they said. You know you're going to have so much work ahead of you because of those words. And you know they could lose their job and it would damage their careers because of the words. The little leads the big and the words can wound deep. They can wound. Think about it. Let's say tomorrow you're walking to work. And while you're walking to work, someone attractive smiles at you. That feels good, right? You're like, yeah, it's these new jeans I got on. I'm wearing purple jeans today, okay? And you walk by and someone says, hey, how's it going? Like, ah, good, I just got these pants. But then you walk by some junior high kids and what do they say? (laughs) Look at that guy wearing those pants. (laughs) Which one do you carry with you when you walk into work? You carry in those junior high kids statement, right? Because our minds focus on the negative. We're drawn to the negative. We hold on to it much longer. Think about a friend that criticizes you. How much can it hurt your sense of self when someone who knows you really well talks bad about you? Even if they apologize for it later, the damage is kind of done, right? Like you're still thinking about that. Imagine what insecurity can be lodged into the heart of a woman from a critical husband. The person who knows you more intimately than anyone else. Some callous and hurtful and harsh words are like a thrust of a sword. I've seen it done. The damage it can do to a sense of self. Some of you, the words that come to mind when you look in the mirror have been entirely shaped by what someone in the past has said about you. A sentence from your father. A word from your mother. A glance from an aunt or an uncle that you've carried with you for not just years but decades. Behold the power of words. How we talk to each other shapes society. Our communication determines our direction. James says in this very powerful, in this power we can use for a lot of harm. That's why we had the rhyme when we were kids. And what was it? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt. Why do we say that? Because the words hurt us. You don't make a rhyme about sticks and stones. The words hurt us. And it was our coping mechanism to say, that doesn't hurt. And then you're like, oh, that really hurt as you're walking away, right? Because it does hurt Last year, a girl from Boston College was charged with manslaughter for sending thousands of text messages to her boyfriend at the time, telling him to kill himself. And then he did. It doesn't matter if you agree with her being charged or not. What I'm saying is the words that we tell to other people, it determines their self-worth. It determines how they see themselves. We have power in somebody else's thought processes. So when you choose to speak, when you walk into a circle, you've been given power. When you, what you say will determine the course of a conversation. So analyze yourself for a minute. When you walk into your friend circle, what are you bringing into that circle? When you walk into your work circle, what are you bringing into that circle? Parents, when we walk into our home, what are we bringing into our kids' lives by the power of our words. Because your words shape your world, your tongue has power. And then James' second argument, 
So the first one was the, the tongue is powerful. The second one is the tongue is perverse. Our words determine our world. Our words can be wicked. There's something wrong with us. And this is what he tells us in verse six. He says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. James, tell us how you really feel. Like that is intense stuff right there, right? Don't get mad at me at scripture. Don't look at me, all right? So he says, let me tell you about your tongue. Your tongue is fire. It burns things down. And he goes on, he says, let me point to the source. It's lit on fire by hell. Your tongue is lit by hellfire. And some of you are like, yeah, kids, you hear that? Like, that's what he's saying. And it's tough to hear and it's tough to say that. Why does he say that? Well, it's interesting. If I can get nerdy for a second, the word hell there in the, is the Greek word Gehana, which is a co- combination of two Hebrew words. And it comes from the Old Testament. It comes from the Valley of Hanan. And so the Valley of Hanan was outside of Jerusalem and it was famous and it was famous because people listening would have known about it because Jeremiah in the Old Testament told us this where people would sacrifice their children to idols or to fake gods. And so as so the people who knew God, they knew that God is a strong and loving God. They knew that God hated that place and hated the fact that people were doing that to fake gods. And so the valley was an evil place. And so when the people of God in the Old Testament had control of Jerusalem, they went and took that place and they turned that place into a trash dump. And so now that place is known for burning trash and you get those noxious fumes and those noxious fumes were rising. They would look and they would see those noxious fumes rising. And they would say, there is a dark place. And out out of it rises some really dark things. And he says, this is about our our mouths. It's hard to control. We can have noxious fumes and noxious things rising out of our mouths as well. Because it's so hard to tame our tongues. And in verse 7, he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human can tame the tongue. I love that. He was like, You know, there's about every animal. There's reptiles, birds, all of them, right? He says every one of them can be and has been tamed. Think about how scary a lion must have been for the first people that encountered a lion. For our ancestors, that's that's terrifying, right? Think about a charging elephant coming at you, but now we tame them. I mean, you've seen Madagascar. Alex the lion can like dance and do a bunch of stuff. He's tamed, right? Like, think about how in, in the circus now they put tutus around a charging elephant. We've tamed these animals, but we can't keep our mouths shut. But we can tame these animals. And so I remember a pastor said this once, and he said to try this, and he called it the tongue test. See if we can give this a shot. Maybe we can try this together as a church this next week, all right? And so he listed six things to try for one week. Number one. Do not complain or grumble at all. Some of you are like, where do I tap out? I'm already done with this. This It's a terrible game, right? Like I'm tapping out right now, right? Number two, do not boast about anything at all for one week. Number three, do not gossip or repeat bad information about someone. You're like, I got to get off social media. I can't go to work now, right? Number four, do not tear anyone down, not even a little bit. Number five, do not defend or excuse yourself no matter what. And number six, do always affirm other people. I tried that this week and I failed at almost all of them, just FYI, okay? 
real talk here, all right? I, I coach my daughter's uh, seven-year-old soccer team. And you can know the ability to speak, uh, I, I can, the power of words, I can speak affirmation over those girls and it's a great day. Or I can say one little thing and I can get them all crying really quickly, okay? And so do always affirm other people. Don't complain, don't boast, don't gossip, don't tear people down, don't defend or excuse yourself, but always affirm people. Can we do that for a week? Can we do that at lunch today? Like, let's start with the baby steps, right? This stuff is hard to do. And some of you are sifting through your conversations through the lens of these six things, and you're like, well, I can't speak this week a lot now. Like, think about it. A lot of our work relationships are built on negative things, right? Did you see what she did? I can't believe she got a raise. How did they give her a promotion? How did they give him this, right? We talk about those things a lot. So try it tomorrow. Walk in and just be positive all day long in your work environment. People will be like, what is wrong with this person? Try it. <laughs> Proverbs 10:19 says this. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. I realize that this week, this is probably like my life verse, all right? Like, I put my foot in my mouth on a daily basis. How many else, who else by the show of hands has the spiritual gift of sarcasm? Anybody with me? That you're my people. Thank you. Okay. And so this verse, I need, to, I need to memorize, I need to own it, all right? And then it says in the end of verse 8, back in James chapter 3, it says, It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. What's he talking about there? He's grabbing some, some common imagery that was found a lot throughout Scripture about snakes and how their mouths have poison in them. And when their mouths come out, they extract the poison. In fact, for some of us, we, we do that with our words and how we talk. In the book of Psalms, chapter 140, David prayed, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. And when he's describing evil men, he says, They make their tongues sharp as a serpent, and the poison of vipers is on their lips. Basically saying, I hear them gossiping around the corners. I hear them whispering about me behind my back. They just say mean things. They complain a lot. And it's interesting because Paul will grab the same imagery in Romans chapter 3. And he's basically saying at this point, he's like, everybody's evil. Everybody's wrong. Everybody's not doing what we're supposed to do under God. He's saying, you're beautiful because you're in the image of God. But there's something wrong with us. There's something broken in all of us. And he grabs that in Romans 3 and he quotes the same verse. There's something wrong with our tongues. We're like serpents that the tongue is powerful, but it's perverted. And so our words guide our world, but there's a wickedness sometimes in our words. And then back to James, as we continue on. Verse 9, he gives some examples. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. So the whole book of James is centered on the fact that he wants consistency. He wants integrity. He wants what's on the inside to match what's on the outside. And so this drives James crazy when he sees this duplicity happening. He says, don't pray and trust God and then doubt him at every step. Don't say you love Jesus, but don't love his people when they're hurting. And so James is always saying, I want consistency on the inside and the out. He says, don't bless the Lord our Father like we sang about today and then curse people who are made in his image. He said, it doesn't make any sense. To kind of break this down to a personal illustration, if one of you came to me today and said, Zach, I think you're like a really cool guy. I want to be friends with you. I'd be like, I think you're cool too. Let's be friends. This is awesome. But then your next statement was, but man, I got to tell you, your, your seven-year-old daughter, she drives me crazy. I don't even like to look at her face. You got to get her out of here. What do you expect me to say? Oh, you're right. She is so lame. Let's go. No, I'd be like, no, 
There is no separation between me and my daughter. There's none. To insult her is to come after me because that's my daughter. So when you're traveling through the city or when you're going to work or wherever you see people, when you see their faces, they're made in the image of God. Whether they believe what you believe or not, whether they agree with you right now or not, whether they're nice to you or not, whether they're Republican or Democrat or not, they're made by your God. So if you think they're acting crazy for his sake, for God's sake, we speak kindness to them. He says, but if we're in here worshiping him and then trashing his people, he says, how does that make him feel? Our words, our communication. I'm not just talking about what you say. I'm talking about what we put out online and social media. I see some of y'all, and some of y'all need to delete your accounts today, all right? Your communication has power. It says, if you were a blessing, if you were blessing God and then trashing his kids, that's weird. It doesn't line up. It doesn't line up. In James' statement, he says, we don't do that. In verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. He's basically saying if God is changing, has changed your heart, we should see a change in your life. So when you walk into a circle, you have a choice of what to put into the system with your level of influence. You've got a choice. What are you putting out there? Are you putting out their blessing? Are you putting out their curse? Are you putting out their positivity? Are you putting out their negativity? And not just a fake positivity, like a real deep joy that comes from knowing Jesus in your life. You get that choice. What kind of sword are you swinging in, in the office? Are you thrusting people with words? Or are you being delicate with your words? Are you bringing healing into that space? That's your choice. But James says it doesn't, makes sense to have two kinds of streams coming from the same fountain. Here's what he says in verse 11 and 12, the last part of it here. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I love this about James because James just kind of throws out illustrations and doesn't explain them. He's like, all right, dropping the mic, good luck understanding what I just said, all right? But if you look at it, if you, find a, if you find a freshwater spring, you build a village around that, right? If you look in society, they'll just build around fresh water. If you dig a well and there's brackish water, you keep moving because it doesn't give us life. He says, does the same stream, stream bring out both? No, it does not. Does a fig tree bear olives? Nope. Does salt water bring fresh water? No. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with that? I love this about James. If you notice, there's not like a how-to section at the end of this. Isn't that weird? We feel like sermons are supposed to have that. Like, okay, great. Like, what do I do now, right? He's not saying, okay, everybody, here's what I want you to do. Get a jar. Call it the swear jar, right? Put it on your desk. And every time you say a naughty word, you put some money in there. And then that money goes to a charity that you hate. Because if you hate the charity, you're like, I'm not going to cuss anymore because I don't want to give money to the charity that I hate, right? That's not what he's saying. He doesn't give us that here. He doesn't give us a bunch of tips to control our mouth. Because here's the point James is making. Your mouth is not really the problem. Your mouth has power, but it's not really the problem. He says, go back to the source. There are fumes coming from a fire. This is the water that comes from a well. So he's going to call you back to the source. So he's doing this again, what his brother did in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus, with his disciples, he's walking along. They're eating. And some religious people were like, hey, how come your disciples don't wash their hands? 
And this is not a current thing. Like it's not like how we tell our kids to wash their hands or wash your hands because of COVID. That's not what he's saying. This was a ritualistic purity thing to show that I'm pure before God. And they're saying, why aren't your people purifying their hands? Jesus stops them and says, hey, everything that goes, everything you eat goes through your stomach and passes into the latrine. I didn't say it, Jesus did. It's kind of gross, all right? He says, so what you eat does not defile you. It doesn't make you religiously unpure. He says what comes out of your mouth in Matthew 15, verse 10, says this. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. What comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. What comes out of your mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts like murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, all these things. That's what defiles a person. Eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile anybody. Because earlier in Matthew 7, he says, a healthy tree bears good fruit. Diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree can't bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Here's what he's saying. I'm not telling you to make good fruit from bad trees. I'm not telling you to have a broken heart, but then just adapt your wording. He says the problem is something's going on with your heart. We need a tree change. We need a well change. We need a heart change. God's got to change this, though, because what comes out of here, a heart, is what's going to come out of here. You give it time. You can adapt your sentences for a week or two or an hour or two, but what's really going on in here is going to eventually come out of your mouth. And so God wants to talk about the heart. And he says in John chapter 4, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He says, when you come to me, I change you on the inside. Your, your problem is you're a bad spring, but if I can change the spring, then the water will flow out different. John chapter seven, Jesus stood up and said, on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let them come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will, overflow, will flow rivers of living water. And this is the same imagery that James describes. He says, I don't need you to change your sentence I need you to change the source. I don't want you just to adapt your wording for your situation. I want you to change your heart because out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth speaks. You change the source, not just the sentence. If I can change your heart, your words will change. Think about most of the negative things we say. Where does it come from? Why do we dog on people? Why do we put people down? Usually it's because we're insecure and so to take them down a peg makes us feel better about ourselves for a minute, right? Maybe we're scared they'll get past us and achieve more than us, so we put them down so that we can feel better about ourselves. Most of our negativity isn't even about the people around us. It's about us. It's what's coming out of you. And so James, so James says, I don't need to give you a bunch of tips on how to change the sentence. I need you to change in the source. Your heart should be different. And let me tell you something. That, that's God's business. You can't do that on your own. That's God's business. That's the desperation of us. That's why James says, no human being can tame the tongue. Why not? Because to tame the tongue is to change the heart. And we can't change us. There's something wrong with us. There's broken things inside of us we can't fix. But praise God. Jesus is in the business of making diseased trees into healthy trees. He's in the business of making salt water into fresh water. 
He's in the business of giving us not that which satisfies, but a well that becomes the well of eternal life. James says, you make the tree good, the fruit will be good. You let God change the spring and the flow will be good. You let Jesus get a hold of your heart and your words will change. Because redeemed people speak redeeming words. Because alive people speak life-giving words. Children of grace speak gracious words. Liberated people speak liberating words. Forgiven people speak forgiveness into other people's lives. When you know God's love, you can speak God's love. But it's got to start in the heart. Jesus is in the business of changing streams. The business of changing hearts. So if I can encourage you, it would be this. Let him change your heart. What you need today for many of you is not to promise to to turn over a new leaf. We need to just say today, I'm gonna lose my temper less, I'm gonna overreact less. No. What you need to do today is say, God, what's what's in my heart? And if it'll come to you and it'll say something like this, you're beautiful because you're made in my image. But there's a brokenness inside of you. And we all stumble in many ways. For some of you, it's lust. Some of you, it's anger. Some of you, it's fear. Some of you, it's insecurity. Whatever it may be. but then it comes out of our mouths in those ways as well. But I wanna give life-giving streams today. So let me change your heart, that's what he's saying. Let me put something new in you. Let me heal the broken hearts of you. Because if your heart changes, the mouth changes. Some of you, your goal today is not to get a swear jar, but it's actually to get a savior for the very first time today. So I wanna encourage you right now in this moment, whether you're here in person or watching online, do something for me right now, just close your eyes. Bow your heads. I do this every time I preach because I want you to just take a moment in the quietness of your own heart between you and God. If if your week is as busy as mine, you don't get a lot of these moments where you just kind of sit before you and God and just have a moment. And so maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what? I've never had that, that heart change. And there's a verse that I love in Romans 5, 8. It says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what that means is that God knows all of my sin, all of my mess-ups, all of my junk, all of my mistakes, and he knows yours as well. But in spite of that, he loves us unconditionally. And he takes one, one step further. He says, I want a relationship with you through my son, Jesus. So if you're here today and you say, man, that's me. I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of living for the world. I know I need something bigger in my life. I know I need a relationship with Jesus. With every head bowed, every eye closed. With no one looking around. And you would say, that's me right now. I wanna pray that prayer. Just lift your hand up right now so I can see you. Just lift up your hand right now. Be bold. Be bold. That's awesome. Anybody else that would say, that's me. I see your hand. That's awesome. Anybody else? Very cool. I'm gonna lead you guys through a prayer. And it's not the prayer or the words that change you. It's your heart connecting to the very heart of God. Say something like this, whether you're here in person or watching online, say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I make mistakes. But today, God, I ask you to change me. I ask you to save me. I accept your son Jesus in my heart. I'm tired of living for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give a round of applause for those that made that decision today? That's an incredible decision. We're so proud of you. It's amazing.
if you could just do something for me today, uh, go on to lexcity.info and just click on I Pray. We'd love to just celebrate that with you, send you some next steps that you can take. If you're watching online, you can click that I Pray button right there as well. And we just let us know all about that. We're really excited for you guys today.